Well, good morning. I'm Danny, uh, one of the pastors here at, at Waypoint Church and the international students pastor. And it's a pleasure to um, celebrate Advent with you. And we're in an, a series, an Advent series, where we're remembering that Jesus is coming back. And um, what is Advent? For some of you who didn't grow up in the church, I didn't grow up celebrating this um, formally as a child. And, but Advent is just a time where we remember that Jesus is coming again and we prepare our hearts for Christmas. Um, I, a couple years ago when I was in youth ministry, I kind of prayed about Advent and came up with this, this phrase that we've used a lot here at Waypoint. And it, it just, uh, what is Advent? Advent says, it's just God promised he would come to bring salvation to his people. At just the right time, he came and he's coming back to make all things right and new. And this is our hope. Um, so we're going to celebrate that this morning. So for the four Sundays of Advent here at Waypoint, uh, next slide, we're just going to look at uh, some things. Last week, we looked at a place, Bethlehem, this promised king. This week, we're going to look at a person, Mary, a humble servant girl that God chooses to bear the Son of God. Next week, we're going to look at a position. Jesus was born in a manger, a stable. And then the final week, we're going to look at a peace. The good news, the final peace, proclaimed to the shepherds and the host of heaven. The peace has come. That's why we swapped the uh, candles, because I felt like Mary lined up more with the love and the peace. So, so I, I did a little Advent you know, swapping as, as the pastors met. But, and these all start with P. That's not supposed to be cheesy or anything. It's just how it worked out. So we, we, we wanted to do that just, just to remember that Jesus comes and he comes to a place by a person in a position and he comes to bring us a peace. So that's what we want to reflect on as a church body this year as we prepare our hearts for Christmas. And as the hustle and bustle of everything going on with Christmas and the busyness of holiday parties and gifts and all these other things, we want you guys, all of you, all of us as Waypoint people to stop and reflect on these things and reflect that Jesus came. The promise was for them and for us, and, and he's coming again. So this morning we're looking at this person, Mary. So I'm going to answer five questions. One, who is Mary? Two, why does Mary only seem to come out at Christmas? Like decorations, right? It seems like for us Protestants, I guess, she comes out of the box every year, right? And then goes back in the box. That's unfortunate, but we're going to look at that. Why does God choose Mary? Um, what can we learn about God's love from his calling of Mary? And finally, what can the calling of Mary teach us about trusting God and living in his grace and mercy? So question one, who is Mary? So let's just look at the facts. Mary is a young woman, most likely somewhere between 13 and 16. She's the fiance of Joseph and a virgin. Uh, she's a faithful, humble servant of God. She's from a poor family of low status in Nazareth, one of the poorer regions. Nothing really significant about her or her family. Uh, she is a descendant of David. That's not up there, but like with her line and, and, her, and Joseph, who she's engaged to, line comes from David. Uh, she's desperately waiting for the Messiah to come and save her people. Um, she's the cousin of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, and Zechariah and Elizabeth are the mother and father of John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. Um, 
She's the mother of Jesus the Messiah. She raised Jesus. She misunderstood Jesus along with his brothers when he was started his earthly ministry. Um, she was there at the crucifixion. She was there at the ascension. She was there at Pentecost. The author of Luke, um, I mean Luke, the author of Acts, mentions the 12 disciples and the women, and he mentions Mary by name at Pentecost. She was a key leader in the first church, and we can call her the first Christian. She was the first person that met Jesus and knew the angel proclaimed to her that the Messiah had come. She was the first follower of Christ. So let's look at five paintings. Uh, this is Da Vinci's, one of Da Vinci's famous paintings, and it's supposed to be Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and Jesus playing. It's kind of cool to think Jesus and John the Baptist probably played just like toddlers play. Um, this one is another picture from history, and it's the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. Um, I'm not sure. These, these are all European paintings. Um, this one is really cool. This is a famous one from, I think this is the French guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, <laughs> this is a famous one in a famous museum somewhere in the world. I'm not an art connoisseur. Uh, and this is Mary at Pentecost. This is the celebration of Pentecost, and this artist puts Mary at the center of Mary was there when the church was birthed. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Jean Rousteau or something. Thanks to Nathan Clendenin. This next one is, uh, this is from a Baptist uh, Sunday school book. So this isn't a famous European one. For those of you who grew up with the flannel graphs and those little books, I just found this one online. This is Jesus. Uh, he stays in the temple for three days. He, his parents leave him, they, they leave Jerusalem and they, he stays and they have to go back and get him. And this is Mary going back to get him. So this, this is not famous art, this is just Baptist art. All right. And this is another famous painting. I think this guy's from Belgium or somewhere, Dutch. And this is Mary at the cross. Uh, she saw her son die. Uh, Joseph, her, her husband, has is, is, is passed away at this point, and she saw him die. And um, there's a lot in history about Mary. Uh, we'll talk some about that later. But who is Mary? This is who Mary is. She's the mother of our Lord, and she's one of the key people in God's plan to redeem, to save the world, and to save his people. So why does Mary only seem to come out at Christmas? Um, I was, Lawrence and I and Eric had kind of planned the sermon series, and I said I would do this one, and I was beginning to do research, and in God's grace, the Christianity Today that I got in the mail two weeks ago is about Mary. So the sheet the two authors of this article, two professors, they did most of the research for me. So it was really awesome. God, God in his providence gave me this amazing article and I challenge all of you to read it. Uh, it's just really, really good. And so I wanna give thanks to Jennifer Powell McNutt and Amy Beveridge Peeler, uh, two uh, professors and who study the New Testament and for their research, because that's where I got a lot of this from. But why does Mary only seem to come out at Christmas? Uh, during the Reformation, and this is from the article, there was, the Catholic Church had some issues, as the church always does, and Luther and other reformers began to address those issues. And one of the issues was uh, they worshiped these icons, these little statues, almost like instead of worshiping God. And every day had a saint attached to it, and they would almost like pray to the saint and not pray to Christ. 
Um, and as images and statues of the saints were destroyed due to the spread of, of, of the Protestant Reformation, Mary's statue was continued to be memorialized. Instead of leaving her behind, the early Protestant uh, reformers repositioned her as one of the most important examples in the Bible of justification by faith through grace alone. In this way, Mariology and Christology, two seminary words, were significantly intertwined. Untangling the two was, highly was a highly sensitive matter. By continuing, to affirm, by continuing to affirm Mary as the mother of God, the reformers appealed to the orthodox affirmation of Christian theology rooted in the earliest ecumenical councils of the church. Uh, to Luther, this is the first reformer, you know, the first Protestant reformer, Luther says this, the first sermon on earth was the proclamation that Mary was the mother of the Lord, and this was preached by no less than a woman, Elizabeth. In this way, Mariology, kind of this idea of who, who is Mary in the redemptive picture and Christology, who is Jesus in the, in the redemptive picture, were significantly intertwined. Um, untangling the two was a highly sensitive matter. You know, so that's, that's the quote. And reformers like Luther and Zwingli, Zwingli, another early reformer, kept Mary as a status, kept Mary's status similar to that of Abraham and David. That they were, she was a key part of the redemptive story. The covenant was given to Abraham. The promise was given to David. The promise was given to Mary. Uh, but somehow over time, Mary became something that we only tend to bring out at Christmas like ornaments in a box. Um, so right now, I'll show some props. So this is a nativity scene that I got when we were in Honduras. Uh, when I took my, the youth group, Eric and I were, uh, you know, I was pastoring a youth group and we took them. And this is made of clay, really cool. Um, this is one that someone gave to me as a gift and it's just actually wood from the Holy Land. This, and then this one is, one of my, is my favorite. This is from China carved of wood and it has the Isaiah passage about Jesus' birth in Chinese characters and it's very in the, in the traditional Chinese style. Um, so it's a good thing Mary comes out at Christmas because the story of Christmas is about the birth of Jesus and Mary is a central figure to that. Um, but the, the main thing that we can learn from this is in uh, Catholic history, Mary, Mary becomes that worshiped almost equal to God, and she's part of pleading for mercy from God. Like, that's what happened, is people thought you, you, you mercy, Mary's mercy will save you instead of Jesus. And because of that, the Protestant reformers said, no, 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 Mary is a significant person in, in history, in redemptive history, just like Abraham, just like David, but she is not, we do not pray to her to, to save us. We, Jesus saves us and Jesus saved Mary. So, so you can see how the worship of saints and the worship of Mary led us to go the other extreme and almost negate Mary's role. And uh, we should never elevate, elevate any human above Jesus, but let's remember Mary's role in God's redemptive story. And Rebecca Clendenin, who read this morning, read the passage with her daughter, she actually wrote an amazing blog post on our blog last year during Advent season. And I'm going to repost that when the sermon notes get posted up later in the week so you guys can follow along with that. But let's not forget Mary and let's not just pull her out. Let's think of how God works in the redemptive story.
So why does God choose Mary? She's from David, David's line, and she's a humble servant. Uh, N.T. Wright says this. He's a New Testament scholar. Mary and Elizabeth, like so many Jews of their time, searched the scriptures, soaked themselves in the Psalms and prophetic writings, which spoke of the mercy, hope, fulfillment, reversal, revolution, victory over evil, and of God coming to rescue at last. Um, this is similar to the situation of the calling of Abraham and Sarah, of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, of David, of Peter. New Testament scholar Grant, Grant Osborne says this, there's four women mentioned before Mary in Matthew's genealogy, which is very odd. Like all the ancient genealogies, you only focus on the kings, the male kings, and you really only focus on the positive kings, and you kind of wipe out all the negative kings. That's how genealogies are done. But when Matthew gives this genealogy of Jesus, where he actually skips some, uh, he's just focusing on, he, he's trying to just get us to Jesus. He skips some of the, the kings in the, in the line. But when he's given this genealogy, he mentions four women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. None of them were Jews. Um, Tamar, Rahab's the prostitute Canaanite. Uh, Tamar, the story of Tamar is one of the most disturbing in the, in the whole Bible. Um, story of Ruth, also not Jewish. Uh, this Bathsheba, this David's the person that Uriah's wife, that David actually takes and, and there's just a lot of sin and a lot of brokenness involved in Bathsheba, and she's actually the, the mother of Solomon, who's in Jesus' line. So, so there's four women mentioned before Mary, and there's a couple reasons why this could be. Most scholars would say it's, it's kind of a combination of, one, to prepare us for Mary, and two, just to show that the kingdom of God, God always had a plan from the beginning, and the plan was for the Jewish people were to bring it, Abraham's people were to bring it, but he was always including all the nations in the plan. But even beyond that, all four of these women, there's some kind of scandal that mostly was brought on by the men, the other people. And then here's Mary, this, this kid, virgin, who's pregnant. Another scandal that God is using in history to bring his plan of salvation. So Osborne goes on to say, the four women mentioned in verse 3, 5, and 6 prepared for God's choice of Mary to bear his son. All were outsiders, many encased in scandal, yet all were chosen by God and made an essential, essential part of the greatest story in all of history. This same truth was evident for Jesus' choice of his 12 disciples. He did not select the great teachers like Gamaliel or leaders like Nicodemus. He turned to peasant fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, despised tax collectors, Levi, insurrectionist Simon the Zealot. For the mother of the Messiah, God chose a peasant in a small town and then had her give birth in a suspicious and, scandal in suspicious and scandalous circumstances as an unwed mother. This genealogy tells us that God has worked this way throughout history. Paul catches it well when he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The point is, when God works through our low status and weakness, the glory goes to him. None of us should ever feel inferior or inadequate. Rather, we should rejoice in such, for God turns human weakness into divine strength. And this is Osborne's kind of recollection of why did God choose Mary? He chose her because she was a humble, faithful servant and he had a plan for her. 
and she was part of God's redemptive plan for history. Number four, what can we learn about God's love from his calling of Mary? So I'm not going to focus on Mary's whole life. I'm not going to focus on the interactions later with her and Jesus during his earthly ministry or or her interactions uh, during his um, crucifixion and his resurrection and ascension. Just what can we learn about God's love uh, by his calling of Mary? What we, the account we find in, in Matthew and in Luke. And if we look at um, Matthew chapter 1, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. So every other time in the account it says, Was the father of, was the father of, was the father of. But here Matthew breaks and doesn't say Joseph's the father of Jesus. He says Joseph's the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Even though Matthew's account is about Joseph, Luke's account is more about Mary. Matthew is very clear to say that his his father is his heavenly father and his mother is Mary. And this is really important and I wish I could go into the, the early creeds of the church and how we came to know that Jesus was fully God and fully man and what that means for us. And at Waypoint, we do want to do some more trainings and theological trainings for you guys. And we will have some, some ways for you to dig deeper into those things. But it's really important to know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And this comes about to be through Mary. Um, so what can we learn about God's love? You know, and I, and I think when we, when we think about God's love, what was Mary anticipating? The psalm that the Hoffines read, it was from Psalm 98, and Mary's song later almost reflects that. But it's about their waiting on salvation. Psalm 98 was written well before um, Jesus. It was, written well, it was written when they were waiting on salvation to come from the Lord and, the, and the God's love to come to them. And Mary was anticipating that. And God chose her in that time in history. She was from the town of David. And as we, as we think about that, we think, well, what is this big picture plan of God's love? And it starts in the garden. If you, if you didn't listen to Pastor Lawrence's sermon last week, uh, I challenge all of you, to, to, if you weren't here, to go, to go online and listen to it. And God has this redemptive plan for his people. In our rebellion, in our brokenness, he continues to work acts of love and mercy on his people. And he did that with Abraham and Sarah. He did that with David. Abraham and Sarah and David, they're broken sinful people, but God's plan of love is working, and he does this through Mary. Um, one, Old Test- one New Testament scholar says this. I love this, so I'm going to read the quote in its entirety. It says this about Mary and the calling of Mary. It's the gospel before the gospel. A fierce, bright shout of, triumphant, of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It's all about God. And it's all about this revolution, this new kingdom that God is bringing through Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's just been conceived, but not yet born, but who has been made, who made Elizabeth's baby leap for joy in her womb, and has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. In many cultures today, It's the women who really know how to celebrate and sing and dance with their bodies and their voices. And they 
they use this as a way to, to go deeper than even words can express. And that's how Mary's song, song comes across. I think some of us, when we hear Mary's song, we might think it's a little more somber, but it's a song of praise. It's similar to the song of Moses and the songs of David. Mary is rejoicing in what God has done. Yes, Mary will have to learn many other things as well. A sword will, will pierce her soul when it pierces her son. She will lose him for three days when he is 12. She will think he has gone mad when he is 30. She will despair completely for a further three days in Jerusalem as the God she now wildly celebrates seemed to have deceived her. And that too is part of the Jewish tradition that she draws from in this song. All of us who sing her song should remember these things too. But the moment of triumph will return with Easter and Pentecost. And this time, it won't be taken away. Why did Mary launch into a song like this? What has the news of her son to do with God's strong power of overthrowing the power structures of the world and demolishing the mighty and demolishing evil and exalting the humble? And this is, this is God's demonstration of love to Mary. And we can celebrate that with her. I wish this moment wasn't so somber. So like, how can I get you guys excited? How can I get you guys pumped up? All right. I normally always bring in some kind of college football reference. You know, like that's, that gets me excited. But, but when Mary hears this news, she's scared. But this is the best news ever. An angel comes to her and says, there will be freedom for your people. And she rejoices. God loved the world so much, you know, the famous passage in John 3.16, that he sent his only son. Mary is part of that. God calls her, this humble servant, sends his son to save his people. Mary shows us God's love, and he shows us God's timing. So let's look at number five, the final thing we're going to look at this morning. What can the calling of Mary teach us about trusting God and living in his grace and mercy? One, be humble and faithful in your life circumstances. Mary was faithful and humble. Her life was really, really, really hard for her and her people. They were the poorest region, they, the Roman occupation. They, they had this like false Jewish king who was Herod, who was half kind of a half-breed puppet of the Roman government. They were paying taxes. They were not getting ahead. She was waiting for the day of salvation, waiting for the new David to come and free her people. She was reading the Psalms and reading the prophets, and she knew that one day this would happen. She was humble and she was faithful in her life circumstances. Like Hannah and David and Peter, she was faithful in the everyday life. And I'm not talking about King David. I'm talking about Shepherd David. I'm talking about David when... When Samuel comes to Jesse, David's father, and he says, all right, show me your sons, because one of your sons is going to be king. They look at the first one. Oh, he's strong. He's mighty. And they keep going down the list until they get to the faithful, humble servant, David. And that Jesse's like, surely that wouldn't be the one that God would call. And it was. And I, I've been praying a lot about this sermon, and the image that God keeps putting in my mind is... I have a friend who's doing a lot of ministry at the border and some of the, the people who are just fleeing from Guatemala and 
and Honduras and the gang violence and some of these things. And, and she just keeps showing images. And when I see Mary and I think, I think of somebody from the, like the lowest circumstance, like someone who's, their situation is so terrible. They just, they're just like, God, I, I don't know what to do. Many of these refugees and these people fleeing from violence and other situations. And, and that's the person that God enters human history into is, is someone like that. Like today we would think, oh, if God came, you know, he'd enter into like the prestigious places, the places of influence. Would he enter into a refugee camp? You know, and, it, and it, when I really studied Mary and I looked, her life was, they were, they were the outcasts. They were the, the poorest of the poor. They were on the edge. So I don't know where to go with that. I just wanted to, just God's been laying that upon my heart as I've been studying Mary. Martin Luther said this. This is the guy who's breaking away from the Catholic Church. You know, the, who, he, he says this. No one should be afraid if he had tough times growing up or is miserable and despised. It is not a bad omen. Look at Mary's example and look what God made out of her. Her renown and her honor will remain among many until the end of the world. For no one can preach, preach Christ without speaking of his mother. Be humble and faithful in your life circumstances. Wait on God. So next one, number two, wait properly upon the Lord and pray for the salvation of all people. They had been in exile for hundreds of years. They've been waiting for God to fully restore the kingdom. And they knew he would be faithful to his promises. But Mary and, and her, the people around her, their life was hard. But I love how Mary wasn't concerned about getting ahead. Mary didn't want to just get a job in Herod's kingdom. And, and she wanted to pray for the salvation of all the people. Her heart wasn't just, let me and my family get ahead. But her heart was, God, restore your kingdom. Make things right. And I want that to be our posture. I don't want us to wait on the Lord so I can get a better job. I want us to wait on the Lord so that all people can have a better situation. All people can be saved. So let's learn that from Mary. In Psalm 98, this is what the Hoffheins read earlier. There's a psalm and it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed, the righteous, revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And almost every scholar, when you look at Mary's song, would be like, Mary must have had this memorized. Because her song is, is remembering this. She would have been illiterate, but she would have memorized, as a child... She was part of this oral tradition and she would have had these prophets and these psalms and these writings memorized. In Galatians 4, we read this earlier, it says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God didn't send Jesus so that my life could just be better. God wanted to adopt a people who are in bondage and bring them into goodness. So let's let that be our prayer. Yes, pray for your job. Pray that God increases your, makes your life better. But pray that he brings salvation to all people. Let's not be selfish in the love that God lavished on us. 
Sorry, I don't mean to be crying. But. All right, three, trust the Lord and his calling for you. God called Mary and she was terrified. Anytime in the Bible when an angel comes, it's scary. Angels aren't these women with wings and cherub or babies like we've, we've created them. They're like God's army warriors. That's what angels are. So Gabriel comes and she was scared. This is from the New Living Translation. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you imagine this girl in a refugee camp? And the angel Gabriel comes to her and says this. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born for you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And then it goes on to talk about, her, about how Elizabeth is pregnant. Um, and then it says, for the word of God will never fail. And this is how Mary responds. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Let that be our response. Let's be ready. And then when God calls us, say, I'm your servant. May everything you say about me is true. And everything God's going to say about you is already in his word. The church and, and the way we work as community is just building us toward that. And teaching you, like, he's already proclaimed it. His promises are there. Everything he said about Mary had already been promised throughout the Old Testament and through the prophets. And it was fulfilled. She was part of that promise. And she accepted her call. I'm going to tell one story. Um, so every year at Christmas, we open up our ornaments. We pull out the boxes. If you go by my house, I'm Clark Griswoldish. Me and Maggie have a thing. And we, we go all out. I just love it. I want every kid when they drive by my house to be like, wow, that's really, I love the lights. And because when I was a kid, I loved it. So I, I just love celebrating Christmas. But every year when we pull out the boxes, these letters are in there. And these, these are two letters that were mailed to us at Christmas time in 2002. And we had gone on a mission trip to Honduras uh, the, the, the summer before. And there was a a pastor named Pastor Silvio who had a small congregation in this village. Almost all the men in the village had gone to other places to work and very few of them came back, leaving a lot of widows. So some churches around the, you know, had said, we're gonna build houses for the widows and Pastor Silvio helped us do this and, and we built a house for Marta and her son, Daniel. She hadn't seen her husband in like two years and we built a house for them. Um, and they're the ones who sent us these, these letters. Marta sent these to us. And when I think about Mary, I think about her. You know, just this lady who is just faithful in the everyday. My life was so much better than hers in every way. Like she had to, every penny she had, she had to, was hard. Everything about her life was hard. She, was, she rejoiced to be in like a 10 by 10 concrete block house with dirt floors. We, we built that for her and she was so grateful she sent us Christmas cards for, you know, like most of us, our sheds 
are better than her home. But she was faithful. Now, I know her country is in disarray. Now, I, Daniel will be, is probably about 15 now. No, Maggie's 16. He, Daniel's about a year older than Maggie, so he'd be 17 years old. I pray that he didn't get involved in the gang violence and all the terrible things that are happening in Honduras. But I know that God is faithful, and I can continue to trust him even amongst the brokenness. So let's be those people, and, and let's be the people who trust in the Lord and his calling, and, and let's be like Martha, and just continue to trust in the Lord in good circumstances and when circumstances are hard. Final thing, praise the Lord like Mary did. That's what I want to leave you with. This is Mary's song. This is from the New Living. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Let's start every sentence this, this week, this month, with that line. Oh, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of, a lowly of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from, he he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What's your song of praise? Right now in your seats, take a few minutes and praise God for what he's doing in your life and for what he's doing throughout the world. Just take a moment right now.